Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated by Judith Levitan to her mother Bracha Bat Rosa. May she have a full and speedy recovery. My name is Judith. I live in Sydney, Australia, where I work as a lawyer in the social justice sector. I am also studying as an off-site student at Yeshivat Maharat in New York. I dedicate this Mishnah to the full and speedy recovery of my mother, Bracha Bat Rosa. I am very excited to be part of this project because it connects Jewish women from around the world through Torah learning. What interests me most about learning Mishnah is seeing the development of Jewish law unfold. The Torah often introduces us to a concept or a general principle of law, but then leaves us with more questions than answers. The details of how the law might work in practice begin to be fleshed out through rabbinic discussions in the Mishnah. In the tractate that we are going to learn today, Tractate Temura, we will see that the Torah takes up all of two verses to introduce this concept. However, rabbinic discussions expand over seven chapters of Mishnah to record the details of when and how the laws of Temura apply. So what is Masechet Temura all about? The first clue we have is that the word Temura is a derivative of the Hebrew word Lehamir, which means to change, exchange or convert. We find a derivative of the word Temura in the song that we sing at the conclusion of the shul service on Friday nights. Yigdala Lohim Chai. The song is actually a summary of Maimonides' 13 principles of faith. The ninth verse states, Lo velo yamir dato lezulato. God does not change or exchange his law, it remains forever. We can therefore see that tractate Temura must be about the exchange or change of something. The location of the tractate within the overall order of the Mishnah gives us another clue about what is the subject of the exchange. Tractate Temura is found in the fifth order of the Mishnah, the order called Kodshim. Kodshim means holy things and discusses in part the laws that pertain to the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, and in particular the different types of sacrifices that could be offered. So bringing all our clues together, we can see that Tractate Temura deals with the laws and practices around exchange or substitution of sacrifices in the temple. The Tractate deals with the questions of when and how you can designate one animal to be a sacrifice and then effectively exchange it for another. One of the central themes that threads through our Tractate is the significance of the temple and the connection of the Jewish people to the temple through sacrifices. Tractate Temura discusses the different types of sacrifices, individual, communal, offerings on the altar, and offerings designated for the upkeep of the temple. Through these discussions, we can build a picture of just how central the temple was to the spiritual and communal lives of our people. The act of bringing the sacrifices in their many forms ensured the ongoing viability of the temple enterprise, both the building and the staff that worked in it, the priests and the Leviim. The temple was the ultimate communal asset. The temple was a place for an individual to connect to Hashem and also for the individual to connect to the broader community. While we no longer have the temple, 
We still have communal institutions that sustain and support our communities. These include schools, synagogues, old age homes and youth movements. And they all provide opportunities for spiritual or cultural connection and also in turn opportunities for us to connect to each other. And so we see running through the Tractate of Tamura the theme of the significance of communal assets and how we relate to them. And this is a theme that remains relevant to us today. The biblical basis for the laws enumerated in Tractate Tamura is found in chapter 27 of Leviticus. It states, If it is the kind of animal that one can bring as an offering to Hashem, whatever part of it he may give to Hashem will be holy. He must not exchange or substitute it, whether good for bad or bad for good. If he does substitute it, then it and its substitute will be holy. This is the entire reference to Tamura in the Torah. Two verses. The first verse sets out the prohibition on exchanging animals. The first Mishnah in the first chapter of Tractate Tamura also explicitly states that exchanging animals is not allowed and then sets out the punishment for undertaking the exchange. The punishment is 40 lashes. Our rabbis explain that this punishment was limited in its application to certain circumstances. A person had to knowingly act against the law. The person who transgressed had to have been given a prior warning and there had to be kosher witnesses to his actions following the warning. Despite the prohibition on substitution or exchange, the Torah understands that people may still engage in this practice. And this is where the second element of the law comes into play. The Torah prescribes the parameters in which the exchange can take place. Once you designate an animal as a sacrifice, even if you exchange it for another, both the original and the exchanged animal are considered holy. The practical ramification is that it is almost like a penalty for second-guessing. The person bringing the sacrifice, in effect, dedicates both the original and the substituted animal. The Tractate of Tamura builds on the details of this Torah law. There are seven chapters. The first chapter sets out the what and who of the law. Substitution of sacrifices, as we know, is not allowed. Nonetheless, if it takes place, the rabbis outline the scope of what can constitute an effective exchange or substitution and who can effect a valid substitution. Interestingly, the Mishnah notes that both men and women can effect an exchange and that female and male animals can be exchanged for one another. The Mishnah then lists the type of animals that can be exchanged. For example, cattle, sheep and goats. The Mishnah stipulates that bird offerings and meal offerings cannot be substituted. Individuals who are joint partners in bringing a sacrifice cannot effect a valid exchange and it is not possible to undertake a substitution or exchange in relation to animals that are to be sacrificed as part of a public or communal sacrifice. The second chapter then picks up on the theme of public versus private sacrifices and discusses differences between individual private sacrifices and public sacrifices. An example of a public sacrifice is the daily sacrifice called the tamid that is given in the temple by the Kohen, the priest, on behalf of the community. Another example of a public or communal sacrifice is the sacrifice given in honour of Shabbat or the sacrifices given in honour of the festivals. Public sacrifices are given at a designated time. In contrast, private sacrifices relate to the circumstances in a person's life, a sacrifice to atone for a sin or to give thanks. We no longer have sacrifices today as a way to get close to Hashem. 
Instead, we have tefillah, prayer. And we have retained the elements of the public and private service to Hashem in our prayer service. We pray as a community. However, we also have opportunities within the prayer service to add our individual tefillot, our individual prayers. Chapter 3 of the Mishnah deals with the laws concerning the offspring of animals that are designated for sacrifices and the offspring of the substituted or exchanged animals. Chapter 4 deals with how the law of exchange works in relation to sin offerings. The Mishnah explains what happens when the owner of a designated animal dies before being able to make the sin offering. The Mishnah also explains what happens when the sin offering is lost. Another animal is offered in its place and then the original animal is found. The Mishnah also explains what happens if an animal is designated as a sin offering and then it is lost and then another animal is designated but not offered and then the original animal is found. Chapter 5 deals with the specific language used to effect a valid exchange or substitution. Chapters 6 and 7 are a bit like an appendix. Chapter 6 deals with the objects that are forbidden from being sacrificed. For example, an animal that was set aside for idol worship. The seventh chapter deals with the differences in the laws regarding property or objects that have been designated for sacrifice on the altar and objects that have been dedicated for the upkeep of the temple. Objects or animals that are dedicated for temple upkeep cannot effectuate an exchange. Interestingly, unlike property that is sanctified for the altar, priests can't benefit from the property that is designated for temple upkeep. We're now going to look in detail as one of the Mishnayot in this tractate. The Mishnah that I have chosen is the sixth Mishnah in the first chapter of the tractate. And I have chosen this Mishnah because it clearly demonstrates the relationship and the interaction between the Torah, the written law, and the oral law. The Mishnah can be divided into two sections. The authorship of the first section is anonymous, and the second part of the Mishnah is attributed to Rabbi Shimon. The Mishnah states, Bird offerings and meal offerings cannot effect a valid exchange or substitution. The scriptural justification or proof for this law is then provided. The Torah, when discussing Temurah, only referred to a behemah, a beast, and not to a bird. The Mishnah goes on to say, Neither a community as a whole nor individuals who bring a sacrifice as joint partners can effect a valid substitution. The scriptural source for this law is then quoted, as it says in the Torah, when discussing Temurah, he, the individual, may not exchange it. Lo yamir oto. It follows, an individual can effect a valid exchange, however, neither a community or individuals as joint partners can effect a valid exchange. The Mishnah then relates a third law in relation to Temurah. Sacrifices or offerings that are bought for the purpose of temple upkeep, as opposed to sacrifices brought on the altar, cannot effect a valid substitution. Now, in the second part of this Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon offers an alternate Torah source for some of the laws relating to Temurah. The Torah source that he cites are the verses in chapter 27 of Leviticus that relate to the general prohibition on substitution in relation to the tithing taking a tenth of a person's cattle. Rabbi Shimon, in referring to these verses, says, Is not the tithing of cattle included in the general prohibition of Tabura referred to earlier in the chapter? 
Why is the prohibition repeated expressly in relation to the tithing of cattle? He then answers, The prohibition of Tumura in relation to tithing of cattle comes to teach us something about the law of Tumura in general. Just as the cattle tithe is a sacrifice brought by an individual, so too the laws of substitution only apply to individuals bringing a sacrifice. Communal sacrifices are excluded. Just as the cattle tithe is a sacrifice brought on the altar, so too the laws of substitution only apply to sacrifices brought on the altar. Sacrifices or offerings that are brought for the purpose of the upkeep of the temple are excluded. So we can see from this Mishnah how clearly the laws of the Mishnah, the oral laws, literally hang off the words of the Torah. On the face of it, this tractate is concerned with the practical details of sacrifices and the circumstances in which you can effect a valid substitution of an animal. The relevance of the law of Tamura today is that it opens up a broader conversation around the psychology of commitment to a communal cause and then the struggle to maintain that commitment. The principles behind the law of Tamura provide a framework to navigate the tension within us between higher elements of human nature self-sacrifice, devotion and commitment to a communal endeavour and the more basic instincts of self-preservation and self-interest. Maimonides characterises the law of Tamura as a preventative law. It prevents people who have made a commitment from backing away from this commitment. In his book, Guide to the Perplexed, Maimonides states about the law of Tamura, if it were permitted to substitute a good animal for a bad one, People would substitute a bad animal for a good one and say it was better than the original. Therefore, the rule is that if any exchange took place, both the original and the exchanged animal are designated as holy and cannot be used for any other purpose. Maimonides, in his codification of the laws of Tamura, also wrote, The Torah was thinking about the evil inclination, the Yetzahara of humankind, when formulating this law. It is human nature for a person to try and increase his or her acquisitions and be concerned about possessions. Even if a person makes a vow and consecrates an object to Hashem, it is possible he will change his mind, regret it and try to redeem the object for less than its value. So what Maimonides is saying is once we commit to making a sacrifice, we are then faced with the reality of following through and this can be difficult because it pits altruism against self-interest. I can give an example of where I have seen this struggle. I have been involved in fundraising for the local Jewish school in our area. And the first part of the fundraising initiative involves inspiring the community to pledge a contribution towards the venture. And so the school organised a gala event, a lovely dinner, and the students performed and everyone was inspired to pledge as much as they could towards the renovations. But the second part of the initiative was the more difficult part because this is where the struggle kicked in. This involved collecting on the pledges. It involved calling people up and directly asking them to follow through on their commitment and on the sacrifice that they had pledged. So let's unpack why it is so difficult to follow through. What is the difficulty when it comes to sacrifices? The act of dedicating a sacrifice involves taking something you have acquired something that is in your possession and control and relinquishing control. This is daunting, firstly, because the act of giving up forces us to confront the limits of our power and abilities. 
It forces us to acknowledge that we cannot fully possess the things we love, that ultimately we are not the ones in control. We don't own the things we have worked hard for. They are on loan and by making the sacrifice, we consciously allow the banker to call in the loan. It is daunting, secondly, because when we make the sacrifice, we are confronted with the reality of delivering on what we committed to, the reality of what we stand to lose or to give up. So we then look for an out, for an excuse, for a way to minimise our exposure and reduce the burden we originally placed upon ourselves. We are looking for a way to deny or minimise the awkward truth about our frailty and the elements of self-interest and self-preservation in our nature may win out. The Torah recognises that as human beings, we have these two competing urges, the desire to give love, but that this is bound up with confronting loss and the desire to preserve ourselves. It is at this time when the competing elements of human nature are battling it out that the Torah provides us with the scaffolding of the laws of Tamura to help giving and love win out. The laws of Tamura remind us that we are not in control. When we try to assert control over our possessions, we are then forced to relinquish more. If we substitute the original dedicated animal, both the original and the substitute are dedicated to Hashem and depart from our possession. While we no longer have a central communal enterprise in the Beit Hamikdash, the concept of sacrifice, as enunciated in the Tractate of Tamura, is relevant to us today. If we think about sacrifice as giving up the things we cherish in order to benefit our local communal assets. This could mean giving up our time, energy or effort in other realms of our lives and putting those resources towards a communal endeavour. It may involve giving up money or giving up opportunities to earn money in order to contribute to the ongoing viability of a communal institution. When self-interest creeps into our thinking, we can recall the principles underpinning the laws of Masachat Tamura and remind ourselves the things we cherish as ours our time, our energy and our money are ultimately not ours to keep from the community. The principles that underpin the Tractate of Tamura provide a paradigm for thinking about the significance of communal assets that enable us to pledge a contribution to the ongoing viability of these assets and then, despite the personal loss we may experience through sacrifice, this paradigm encourages us to follow through with our commitment. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, in his weekly commentary on the parasha, Covenant and Conversation, discusses the meaning of sacrifice in these terms. The word korban, sacrifice, means bringing or coming close. To come close to God in Judaism, we must renounce our power, our will, our autonomous being, our self-sufficiency. We must give something up. We must engage in a symbolic act of renunciation. That is the meaning of sacrifice. The result of such coming close is that after it, we return to the world changed. In renouncing our ownership of something, we acknowledge God's ownership of the world. We therefore re-engage with the world in the conscious knowledge that we do not own it. We are no more than trustees or guardians of the universe on behalf of God. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag 
your Torah. 